0: Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the June 19, 2022 session, focusing on Psalms chapter 42 and 43, Do Something. I'm David Cassidy. I'm David Adams. I'm Burt Montgomery. And I'm Daniel Glaze. I'm already very intrigued by this title, Do Something. I'm wondering who is supposed to do something, but we'll get to that in a minute. (laughs) Before I forget, my question I have for you is... (laughs) Would you consider yourself a forgetful person? Why or why not?
1: You know, as a younger man, I would say no. I I was really good at knowing. I never had to write things down, dates, times. I knew when things to do and when I was to show up where and what I was doing. But as I've gotten older, A, I'm older. But B, I also have a whole lot more... Yeah. To be worried about than I did when I was in junior high, and high school and even college. And so, yeah, I have to write stuff down all the time or I forget it left and right all the time. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm forgetful, too. And in in the words of the immortal Mitch Hedberg, um, I used to be. I still am, but I also used to be forgetful, (laughs) forgetful. yeah, I've always been that way and I'm I'm like Bert, if I if I don't write it down it just doesn't happen.
3: I'm, I'm sorry, what was that question again? <laughs> uh, seriously, this is a. it's interesting because I have a near eidetic memory that sometimes doesn't work anymore. <laughs> I I can't get the stuff out. It's still in there. It's just getting it out sometimes is getting difficult and it's one of those issues that concerns you as you grow older because you wonder, "Hey, is something going on?" or maybe not. But as Bert was pointing out, as we get more advanced in life, there's more stuff going on. It's harder to track. And I have to admit, it was the first time that I had to fill in for the senior pastor at a church I was working at that I finally had to buy an organizer just to track all that was going on because I just could not process it all at the same time. And once you get used to using that kind of an aid, it's hard to go back.
0: So I, a lot of times I feel like Columbo, you know the detective that used to have a show years ago for our younger listeners. It, it, he was a played by Peter Falk, and uh, it, he would always remember one more question before he left a uh, meeting with someone. But he also had this habit. He wore a trench coat, and he would always pat himself down before he left the room, uh, just to make sure he had everything: his keys, his wallet. You know, <laughs> and, and I I do the Columbo pat down quite often. <laughs> Now, because I, I'm terrible, I will lose pens, umbrellas, jackets, you know, I'll leave my phone behind, I'll, I'm just...
2: Mm-hmm. Honorarium checks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You can, you can take that out. No. <laughs>
0: yeah, so, no, I was preaching at a church, and uh, was kindly handed a, an honorarium check, which I proceeded to misplace immediately and have no idea where it went. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I tell folks around me, please don't hand me things. <laughs> when I was in publishing, I'd be out and people would say, oh, I have a book, can I hand you the manuscript? Well, only if you don't want to ever see it again. <laughs> anyway, well, um, I suppose we're all forgetful at some level. We have a couple of Psalms today. Daniel, would you help us get started?
2: I'll be glad to. So the lectionary offers us Psalm 42 and 43 as the lesson from the Hebrew Scriptures today. They offer us these psalms together because most scholars treat 42 and 43 as one psalm. In fact, many old Hebrew manuscripts have them together as one psalm. Moreover, the wording, the vocabulary, the structure, and the theme are very similar, so we'll treat them as one too. Psalm 42 begins with acknowledging our dependence on and longing for God. As a deer longs for water, so my soul longs for you. Then the psalmist admits to God that his soul is cast down, disturbed. Why have you forgotten me? He cries to God. And then, vindicate me, O God, defend me against the unjust. And last, in you alone, O God, do I trust. Send me your light and truth and I will praise you always. These are not separate prayers. It's not like the psalmist says, God, why have you forgotten me? Why have you let my heart and body be crushed? Okay, now that I've gotten that off my chest, I'll come back tomorrow with something more pleasant to pray about. Know this is one prayer offered to God by the one who knows that God is with us on the best days of our lives and on the worst and God is strong enough to take our criticism alongside our praise. Some scholars believe that the practice of separating these into two separate separate psalms may have begun with the Septuagint, that is, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And I suppose that makes some sense if you make a distinction between prayers of complaint and prayers of petition. I do not, however, make that distinction. God wants to hear our prayers of complaint alongside our prayers of praise and petition because, well, honesty requires it. If we're honest, most often we carry within our hearts some mixture of praise and petition, joy and sorrow, anxiousness and peace. I read recently that Psalm 42 was sung at the baptism of St. Augustine in the year 387, and for good reason. The psalm is as relevant every day as it was when it was written. It could have been written just yesterday. This psalm speaks to the reality of what so many of us feel many days deep within our spirits. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him, my help and my God. A few weeks ago, we as a nation passed a rather grim threshold. We surpassed the one million mark of persons who have died from COVID in our nation. One million. Mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, grandmothers, grandfathers, cousins, grandchildren. And as we are recording this podcast, our nation is reeling from the awful shooting that took place at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. No more, we said after Columbine. No more, we said after Sandy Hook. No more, we said after Parkland. And yet here we are. We've said no more as if that's a solution, as if the steps we need to take To prevent such tragedies will somehow come to fruition as long as we offer thoughts and prayers and a couple of no mores. And as we are recording this podcast, we are reeling from the incredible, and I don't say incredible positively, the incredible Sexual Abuse Task Force report commissioned by the Southern Baptist Convention. This report details incident after incident of not only abuse and maltreatment of children, women, and men but incredible details of ignorance cover up and even enabling such abuse from those in power. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are we cast down? Because those in authority and leadership seem capable and successful at nothing except utterly failing us. So alongside the psalmist, we cry out, Vindicate us, O God. Defend us against the oppression of the enemy. Don't just stand there, God. Do something. And I can't help but think that God so often wants to shout back, Why don't you do something? During the season of Easter, which concluded a couple weeks ago, Many of our churches read from the book of Acts in celebration of the beginning of the church. Interestingly enough, the book of Acts begins with Luke talking about Jesus' ascension back into heaven. And after Jesus was ascended, two strangers said to the apostles, Why do you stand there looking up toward heaven? In other words, stop looking at heaven and start looking around. Christ has not left you, and you are not powerless. It's your turn to do something. It's long past time for the church to do something. To do something about children living in poverty, to do something about the abuse that takes place inside our church walls, to do something about the patriarchal attitudes and structures that demean women and their gifts, to do something about the racism and Christian nationalism that is destroying our hearts, to do something about the violence that touches every aspect of our lives and our society. It begins, I believe, by crying out to God, much like the psalmist does. And even as we, and this is verse 4, go to the altar of God with praise and joy, I believe God sends us out of the sanctuary to love and serve and speak and change this world. May we love God and this world enough to do something. That's a little background on our text for today.
0: Thanks for that, Daniel. It's, it's a cry to God that I think we all feel and make, if we're honest. I also can't help but speak the, the sense that I so often feel powerless to do anything. Which I wonder, in some ways, if that's the point of some of the power structures of our day, is to make us feel utterly powerless.
3: While I'm still almost really, I guess, Daniel, with the great words that you shared with us and the meaning, as I read this passage of Scripture, I sometimes wonder if maybe it reads better if we apply emphasis to certain words. Because it looks all the time like this person could be shouting at God, saying, God, why have you done these things? What's, what's up with you? When instead, he, he maybe a change of voice or inflection needs to be put on some of these passages. You know, I think if you could just change the inflection, what you're saying about our responsibility seems to come through more clearly than if it does if we just do a wooden reading of the Scripture. It's so like when you're reading verse 9, the second part, it says, why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? We would say, I'm complaining to God that I'm walking about mournfully. But why can't we say it like, why must I walk around mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? I've got a choice here. I don't have to do that. Or there toward the very end, just the way you ask, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For again, I'm going to praise him, my help and my God. It's almost like there's a bit of defiance that could be read into that. And if you read it defiantly saying that I'm taking this pain, I'm taking this hurt. And I'm not just leaving it at God's feet and saying that it's not my problem, it's God's problem. I'm committed to doing something. And I know that if I do, and if I stay faithful, God's going to come through. But I still have to do what God's called me to do.
2: You know, I will admit that so often it is, it is too easy to give into that idea of powerlessness. What can, what can I do? What can one person do? And I, I will also admit that the language in this Psalm is more singular when many, many more of the Psalms are are corporate in nature. So that's the first thing I think. Let's be careful not to fall into the trap of, if it's up to me, Daniel Glaze, to stop all school shootings, well, I, I don't know how far I'll get with that, but corporately we can do something. And I am I was reminded of a, a trip to Capitol Hill I was taking on behalf of an organization that I serve on the board for. Um, we were visiting some legislators about, uh, some impending legislation regarding religious liberty. And. Before we left one of the senators offices is my own senator, Senator Tim Kaine's um, office. I asked the young lady at the front, as we were waiting for Senator Kane, I heard your phone ringing and I'm seeing people ring their phone all the time saying, here's what I'd like the Senator to do, et cetera. So does, does it make any difference? I mean, are you writing all that down? And she said, oh, we're writing down how many people call on a certain issue. Not, not all the exact wording, but it's very important for us to know, is this one person or is this a 1,000 people? And one can be skeptical and say, oh, well, that's just trying to count your votes back home. But But looked at a little more charitably, I think if it's important to us as a family and as the family of God, and I really deeply believe in that metaphor, then I don't think we're so powerless at all. But getting to that corporate identity, that unity, is very hard sometimes. I'll grant you that.
1: Listening to y'all to this conversation, I keep coming back around in my mind to the great prophet Elijah, because Elijah knew how to do things on his own, well, with the help of God, <laughs> and do great and and wonderful things and, and, you know, undeniably incredible, awesome, powerful, Super Bowl, World Wrestling Federation kind of stuff, but he also felt so alone, and the moment he comes down from the mountain after defeating all the prophets, Um, He gets word from Jezebel that what you've done to all the prophets, which, by the way, he had them, you know, cut in pieces and slaughtered and just all kinds of horrible things. But what you've just done to all these prophets, I, Jezebel, I'm going to do to you. And then he just plummets. and. He could have written the psalm, why why is all this happening? What's going on? God, why have you forgotten me? You know all this stuff and he he wanders off into a, a cave. I mean it's a longer story than that, but you know he ends up in a cave and he's begging to die because I'm the only one left and there's nothing I can do. And you, you got the whole earth wind and fire thing going on there, but then he comes out and then God says, see there there are hundreds, there are thousands of others out there doing my will you just need to go find them. You're not alone. I don't, I don't know. It's just something about y'all coming. The conversation kept coming down to when I feel alone, what can I do? And then the community. And I think sometimes we think of faith like Elijah, this is me and I can do something great, but then I could also plummet and be in great despair. But there's something about realizing we're not alone. You know, even even the great Frodo had to have Samwise. <laughs> and outside of that, you still had the other hobbits over here, and you still had the wizard over there. They're not with you, but they're all doing— you're not the only one out there doing the work. And I think that's where we find God, and find God working, is when we're doing it together.
2: One thing that keeps coming back to my mind is the the role of hope. In this psalm, you have— a couple of times hope in god for i shall again praise him my help and my god i'm i'm thinking about the the role hope plays in not only our ability to do something about all that's we find in the world i mean so, so often we talk about hope uh, like it's this pie in the sky kind of you know i hope it doesn't rain tomorrow kind of thing but I love how hope is talked about in in the book just Mercy by Brian Stevenson he talks about hope being the ability to stand in a dark place and give witness or bear witness to something better that's not only possible but one day will come and so I guess I'm just I'm I'm drawn to this idea of hope being an essential element in not only our stamina in fighting the good fight but but in our ability to to bring about the change that we believe God wants us to to bring about
0: and and it's interesting Daniel i think that uh, the psalmist regularly reminds us to remember like in verse 4 to remember times before when god has acted when god has yeah, responded yeah. when our hope was realized was tangible and and, and this psalm is no different than that. And that, I think, is part of a real kind of hope is, is the is the remembering of those other times, both in our lives and in our lives corporately as a church, the places where God has acted and, hmm. and where our hope did come to bear. Because we probably all got those places. Yeah. I remember being in graduate school at Baylor I was studying philosophy uh you know philosophy can be heady stuff <laughs> hmm. and uh there were there were times when I felt like you know I didn't know what to think I didn't know I mean so much of the ways I had seen the world in life were being challenged and confronted and I remember sitting in church one Sunday in Waco and thinking you know w- will I ever Will I ever have the same sort of sense of faith that I did before? Or is, is it going to be, is it gone? Is it, you know, and it, and I remember meeting with the pastor and, and, and talking about it. And he was like, you know, you're going to be okay. This is a part of growth. It's a part of life. And sure enough, <laughs> I look back on it and I realized that I was in the midst of a transformation. That yes, I do see the world differently, but it's a, to me, it's a richer sense than I had, a richer perspective than I had before. And my faith is stronger now that I have gone through that. Mm -hmm. But I also remember, um, remember times when my wife was in the hospital and we didn't know how things were going to turn out and of course they didn't have to turn out the way they did, but she's still with us. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. we've been gifted all these additional years. These are all places I can remember where i was hopeful at the time but terrified it wasn't going to go well but it did not that it always will
3: Hmm. i'm I'm grappling with the question that is, is so superfluous but it sticks in my head which is when we're talking about this in my church it's going to be father's day how do i tie that to this where where does that connect here or does it
0: that is a religious
3: holiday. Yeah. It, in most churches it is, because we are observing that as part of our community and part of our like we're, our fellowship, just like we do Mother's Day, and when we honor women and make a big deal of that. So if we're honoring the place of someone who we looked up to, who we had faith in, and now we're having doubts about, is that a question we should be asking about our fathers? Is there some significance there? And in, in what fatherhood is, is or isn't should be there's lots of songs that you'll hear for instance about people talking about their childhood and the way they viewed their father growing up sometimes they're very disappointed sometimes they're not so disappointed but it all came back to again the song is going to be usually rooted in memory i remember these good times we had together when i was a child where did they go what happened Why am I living this life now? How am I going to prevent my own children from having to live this way? And this particular long prayer, if you want to look at it as a long prayer, continually reminds us that, yes, things are bad. Things are not the way they should be. We have a memory of times when things were better, but right now things are not good. But if I keep my hope, there's going to be another day when I'm going to praise God again who's been with me this whole time, despite the fact I felt so down. And, and things we worked out all right. And I kind of wonder, is there something that happens in relationships with our fathers where we walk that same path? And my experience as a youth minister got me there too, where there's a certain age in life where your father is the stupidest person on earth, <laughs> doesn't know anything, failed at everything. <laughs> you don't look up at them anymore. Those good memories are gone and you're separated. And then there's a time when you find your way back, if, if you're fortunate. Mm. You know, And would that not be a, a similar passage to the one that this psalmist has been going through in this prayer, where, you know, God, you, you've obviously, you're not there right now. You're not doing what I need you to do. I know that we had good times in the past. I did these great things, but right now you're not around and my enemy oppresses me and it looks really bad for you you know, that this is going on, but someday I know we're going to fix this. And again, we should hope in God because I shall praise him in my help and my God, which is the only thing that gets repeated over and over again in this passage, like a song would.
0: Well, we've, we've obviously worked through some Psalms in the past. One of the things that always uh, strikes me whenever we're in the Psalms is the the ability of the psalmist to express what they're thinking and feeling, uh, and, and to feel comfortable doing that with God. Not That's not something that perhaps we feel is comfortable doing. That might be something else we can take away from this psalm, is is to ask ourselves, you know, how comfortable am I in speaking honestly to God, either about what I'm going through or what my community or world is going through or my need, my fear, my doubt. Can we express those things? Can we express where we feel powerless and perhaps where we feel hopeless and ask for a recognition of the power we do have and a recognition of the hope that is real? Yes. That brings back something
3: that Daniel said even earlier when you're, thinking about the fact that you cannot really come to terms with God and do these things unless you first are admitting to the pain and being honest. Yeah. And in times like the ones we see now, we have a hard time being honest with each other. You know, just like we say, so many of these things happen because we just let them happen and they just happen again and again and again. But we don't provide a lot of space for brutal honesty. And when honesty comes, it's usually shouted down by someone. And how dare you turn this into that? we all saw footage of people particularly being yelled at because they demanded that we be honest and your know, honesty is key and we don't give God that not often you know, when we pray we don't pray all that honestly and see what's really on our minds we we pray things especially in public that are more for public consumption honesty is uncomfortable to us because I think there's a sense of reverence that we're afraid we will lose by being honest. Or at mm-hmm. least how will people look at us if we were totally honest?
0: Or how would God look at us? It, it was, yeah, exactly. Yes. How will God look at <laughs> how,
3: I can't shake my fist at God and say these things. What would God think? <laughs> what might God do to me? But this psalmist, I think, pulls something out here and shares some honesty.
0: Well... I am reminded of a a statement that's attributed to Nelson Mandela, who, of course, was part of enormous change that occurred in South Africa that perhaps for many years could not even be imagined, Uh, that the oppression there could not be changed, that the structures could not be altered, and yet they were. And the phrase is this, it always seems impossible until it is done. It always seems impossible until it is done. May we not see as impossible the things that God can do and that God can do through us. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Subscribe to the Faith Element podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible Study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.